Welcome to the Ready Eddy Podcast, where we help you discover innovative startups in the outdoor sport industry. Join us as we tell the story of brands who are paving the way for the future of outdoor sports. And here's your host, Josh Salvo. Hey, Ready Eddy Podcast listeners. Do you love skiing, snowboarding, climbing, hiking, camping, surfing, kayaking, or mountain biking? Did you know that there are thousands of new outdoor sports startups launching each year with incredible stories and products that are revolutionizing their sports? At Ready Yeti, we are a community of outdoor sport enthusiasts that love discovering new brands and supporting the ones that make innovative, quality products and that have a drive to give back. At ReadyEddy.com, we give away products every two weeks from your soon-to-be favorite outdoor sports startups. Check out ReadyEddy.com and become a part of our daily growing outdoor sports community and be among the first to discover tomorrow's outdoor sport brands. What is going on, Ready Eddy Podcast listeners? Josh Salvo here, your host, and I am sitting down with Jamie Sheckman, the co-founder, or no, the, yeah, the co-founder and CEO of Mountain Riders Alliance. If you are not familiar with Mountain Riders Alliance, they are a group of like-minded people dedicated to making a positive change in the ski area industry, and a, as well as supporting the environment and surrounding communities. So, Jamie, I want to thank you for taking the time to chat with me. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Awesome. So. For the listener that doesn't know much about you or Mountain Riders Alliance, can you sort of give a quick overview of what MRA is all about? Sure. Uh, well, I'm a passionate lifelong skier, uh, much like many others. And uh, in the 80s and 90s, uh, we started focusing on the ski industry and watching them the ski industry kind of taking a shift away from the skiing experience and started focusing on other things like out-of-boot amenities, real estate, Ponzi schemes, and even in some uh, places, theme park attractions. And so uh, we, as a collective group of skiers and snowboarders, said, we've got to do something um, and not sit idle. And uh, let's figure out how we can help these smaller community ski areas uh, be more successful because the reality is they're a dying breed there in the 80s there was 735 ski areas in north america and uh, this year there's 470 and those are all mom and pops that are dying there's another 150 that are considered at risk and we can't let that happen so with that the mountain riders alliance was born that's awesome so what's your background where, where are you originally from how did you get so into skiing and you know, protecting the mom and pop and more authentic aspect of of the industry. So I'm from Planet Earth originally, and I grew up in Los Angeles. And then after high school, I decided to take a year off, and I moved to Lake Tahoe. Well, that year kind of turned into the rest of my life. And um, you know, Lake Tahoe is a really interesting case study in in the ski industry and what I spoke of earlier. Um, it is. Uh, one of the epicenters of the corporatization of the ski industry. For example, Vail Resorts has come in and bought Heavenly, Kirkwood, and North Star. Two former executives from Vail Resorts started a private equity firm that bought Squaw and Alpine, and we literally have the arms race going on in Tahoe. So uh, I am uh, – uh, Tahoe uh, is my home, though now I consider the Eastern Sierra my um, my headquarters. Um and I'm not sure how much of the question I answered. <laughs> I think you got. I think you got all the important parts. Um, so, so what? What are you guys doing exactly that helps um, 
these mom and pop ski resorts um, stay alive and thrive? Well, we've, we've done several things. Um, first off, we got on the job experience by working with several ski areas um, in, in detail. Uh, and from from that uh, time, we, we learned a lot about the ski industry and, and what makes things profitable, what are the do's and the don'ts, and, and sort of some of the lowest hanging fruit. And uh, through the years, we identified there's really four things that are challenging small ski areas. They are climate change, uh, access to capital, aging infrastructure, and rising expenses. And so uh, we created uh, the Mountain Playground Group, which is essentially a solutions-based approach to helping these smaller ski areas. And this Mountain Playground Group is a consortium of, at the moment, nine ski areas, uh, two in Canada, one in Alaska, and the other six in the lower 48. And the idea behind this Mountain Playground Group, this consortium, is to have these ski areas work together. Uh, and, and by working together, we're getting a lot of results. For example, uh, we're evaluating the ability to get a, an insurance policy to cover them all, which would drive down insurance premiums. Uh, we have a joint marketing campaign where we're bringing awareness to these smaller ski areas because the reality is uh, small ski areas don't have a marketing budget and they certainly don't aren't able to compete with larger ski areas. So we're really banding together and sharing in best practices. We're identifying places where we can reduce expenses. And, um, you know, much like a franchise uh, can work uh, together to, to achieve economies of scale, um, we intend, intend to do the same thing. However, unlike a franchise, we want each of our ski areas to remain unique to themselves, um, not like a franchise, like anywhere in the world you go. If you went to McDonald's, you'd have the same Big Mac. Well, we, we don't want that. We want right. each uh, ski area to remain authentic. But So those are some of the things uh, we're working on. We also uh, do consulting work for ski areas that are either uh, misguided or have closed down altogether. And uh, I, we've immersed ourselves in the industry and just really absorbed it all and, and follow the trends and, and uh, are doing our part to keep skiing affordable and accessible to all that's awesome so what what you named that there's there's nine resorts what 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 are they where uh, and you mentioned that there's two in canada one in alaska and the rest are in the lower 48 which which ones are they arctic valley in alaska arctic valley is a non-profit owned skier just outside of anchorage has a thousand feet higher elevation well actually uh the base is is about the top of chair six at alaska um Bald Mountain is a an, also a nonprofit owned ski area in northern Idaho, closest town is Pierce, and Bald Mountain was uh, built um, by uh, the old mill that used to be there for their employees uh, and families to enjoy back in the day. And though the mill closed, the ski area remains. Uh, Beartooth Basin, which is the quintessential mountain playground, that's located on the Wyoming Montana border, and that opens up. Um, around memorial day and goes till early july it's uh two pomas and an airstream fifth wheel trailer that serves as uh the lift tickets it's the most primal 
all about the skiing experience you will ever have in North America. Really? Elk Ridge Ski and Outdoor Recreation is in Arizona, gateway to the Grand Canyon. Uh, Hurricane Ridge is also a nonprofit-owned ski area and one of three ski areas on the um, in a national park. And this one's um, I didn't say this. Hurricane Ridge is uh, in Washington on the Olympic Peninsula. Um, and it's the only ski area that we know of that you can check the surf break from the summit of the ski area. <laughs> uh, Mount Abram, Maine uh, is in western Maine, about 20 minutes from Sunday River. And a few years ago, uh, they installed the second biggest solar array in the ski industry. They make 70% of their power on site, even during the harsh winter climate of Maine. Uh, Mount Timothy is one of two ski areas in British Columbia. It's in the South Caribou. Uh, the other one in British Columbia is Phoenix Mountain, um, which is just over the border. And uh, our latest um, participant is Snow King Mountain, which is located in downtown Jackson, Wyoming. Well, that's awesome. That, <laughs> it's so funny. that's all nine of them. You know, it's interesting. I, I pride myself in thinking that I've been to so many resorts in the States and I've only been to one of them <laughs> on that list, um, which which is it just goes to show that how many mom and pop ski resorts there are out there and that how many of them you have no idea even exist and you should it, go check out. <laughs> um, that's so interesting. So let me ask you this. Is, is Mountain Riders Alliance a, a nonprofit? Is it a is it a business? How do you guys sort of operate that? So we're a limited liability uh, company, an LLC, based in Wyoming, um, and we work with these ski areas. Our um, revenue comes from consulting gigs with some of these ski areas. Also, we sell a mountain playground group card uh, for $29 that I'm sure we'll talk about. And um, after we share proceeds with our nonprofit partner, um, we um, receive some of the revenue from that. So um, we are a for-profit entity, but we're not profit-driven. Uh, we're doing the right thing. We're helping these smaller ski areas. We believe strongly that these smaller ski areas are an incredibly important part of the overall ski industry's ecosystem. Um, they are literally the breeder-feeder ski areas, the factory, uh, the skier factories. And so... Um, it's our belief that if we help these smaller ski areas, it's going to make the whole industry better. Without a doubt. You know, I think that's such a good point. And it, it's definitely very overlooked, especially when you've got um, businesses like Vale Mountain Resort, which they've been in the news a lot lately with um, purchasing a ton of mountains in their battle with uh, Park City Mountain Resort and now owning Copper or no um canyons and now park city um they just keep getting bigger and bigger um it's it's too big to veil yeah yeah exactly exactly and intrawest was another big player but they seem to be selling a lot of their um resorts um which is uh interesting um but i i just think it's such a fascinating aspect to business at least in the ski industry that a lot of people don't really notice or know about like a lot of hardcore skiers and snowboarders like understand how it works and see and sees that it's working um but a lot of people don't um especially on the east coast because there's not as much of that i guess like there, there there is but it's not as apparent and in your face as i feel it is out west um 
but uh, I think that's that's interesting. What's what's planned for the future for you guys? Are you are you working to get more resort um, mountains on on the on the program, or what are you guys doing? We have a few things uh, in the future. The first one is we're hosting the inaugural MRA Summer Shred Fest at Beartooth Basin, which is just outside of Red Lodge, Montana. That's June 16th to the 18th. And that's going to be a part competition. We're going to have a free ride world qualifier event there. We're going to have a Schemo uphill uh, mountaineering race. We're going to have a she jump, get the girls out event. And we're going to have a symposium uh, entitled Community Ski Areas at Risk. And uh, John Reveal, who is the general manager at Sleeping Giant, uh, in Wyoming, uh, former executive at uh, Yellowstone Club and at Aspen, uh, who came full circle and now is a GM at a nonprofit ski area, is going to be our keynote speaker. And then we're going to have a panel discussion, and that event will be streamed live. Um, so the MRA Summer Shred Fest is, is one thing we're really looking forward to, and it's going to be the first annual of what's going to be um, a really fun end of the season event that we hope people from all over the country come and, and visit it's a spectacular place in montana um the skiing is legit there's a lot of backcountry skiing right there and red lodge is one of the coolest montana authentic western towns you'll ever see so that's one thing and then one of our midterm goals is uh we would like to manage our own ski area uh someday uh we would like to have a canvas in which to paint on and implement our latest strategies and and take advantage of all the stuff we've learned so far and really have our own um sounding our own place in which we can do the things that we'd like to do um so that's a midterm goal and uh it's going to have to be the right spot at the right time uh, in the meantime, we're going to continue to focus on helping the smaller ski areas um, to be more sustainable and profitable. That's awesome. So when you say we, who who is a part of the Mountain Riders Alliance team? Well, there are several of us that are active, and there's a whole bunch of us that collaborate from time to time. Uh, I would say over the course of the six years that we've been in business we've probably had a hundred different people contribute from uh you know somebody that's a graphic designer uh to somebody's an editor to somebody that might be good with corporate sponsorships and so on and so forth so really it's been i don't want to say a labor of love but it's been a whole bunch of different folks helping out for the same common good because we're all skiers first or snowboarders first and foremost and we really believe um, in the sport, and I know that I'm not the only guy out there that that is so grateful that um, they found skiing in their life and and want to give back to the sport that's proven so much entertainment and joy and fun times over the years. Without a doubt. So, what would you say has been one of the hardest parts about building Mountain Riders Alliance? You say that you've been around. You guys have been around for about six years. So across that journey. What have been some of the hardships that you guys have had to deal with to keep building and growing it? Well, uh, like a lot of startup businesses, uh, capital, you know, um, when we carve out jobs and get consulting gigs and get paid, it's one thing. But when we uh, continue to, to do work uh, pro bono, it's sometimes tough to sustain ourselves. 
Um, the other interesting thing is for a long time, uh, the establishment, the ski industry as a whole, was not particularly receptive uh, to us. Um, I think they felt that maybe we were the anti-corporate entity. And that isn't the case at all. You know, the Vail Resorts of the world, they're catering to the upper crust, and that's fine. We don't have a problem with them. We just identified a niche which isn't being um, filled, which is these smaller community ski areas. So uh, industry acceptance for a while was um, a, a bit of a hardship. Um, but lately, it seems like uh, the industry as a whole is realizing that with a $104 average daily lift ticket, they need these uh, smaller ski areas to help um, grow skiers that can graduate to the mega resorts. Um, right. Capital at times uh, has been a challenge. And, you know, the biggest challenge is it's, there's no silver bullet. It's not like you turn one knob or do one thing differently and all of a sudden, voila, these ski areas are, are going to be profitable. It's, it's really incremental and, you know, slow and steady is going to win the race and hope that snow keeps falling from the sky. That also helps. <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, it does, especially after a season like last year for the Northeast, which is one of the worst on record. It was hell. <laughs> Picked a bad season and not travel much. I thought I was going to do a lot of backcountry skiing in the Northeast. That didn't happen. Um, what would you say is one of your biggest fears with Mountain Riders Alliance, and how do you manage it? Well, fear with the company, um, I don't want to say we're fearless, but we, we don't, we're not fearful. Uh, well, my biggest fears is the industry as a whole. Um, I'm fearful that, um, that the snow stops falling, um, that um, these ski areas that, I, that we work with, they're all old. They're, they're all typically 40, 50 years old. That's when a lot of the mom and pops were first built. And a lot of their infrastructure is reaching the end of their life. And so if these ski areas are breaking even um, and or maybe making a small profit or maybe losing a little bit of money and um, they need a new lift and a new lift is a couple million bucks, what's going to happen then? There's a lot of ski areas that are, are reaching a point where they're going to have to figure out a new business model. Um, or they're going to have to um, reinvent themselves in a different way to stay in business. So my uh, my biggest fear is is that the industry as a whole, especially the smaller ski areas, can stick around for future generations. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. So like, there's a mountain that I like to go to in in New Hampshire called Black Mountain, which I'm sure you're familiar with. It's like a it's basically on a farm, and the lifts are super old. Um, and I always wonder, like, they're definitely not making a profit. So, like, if one of those lifts went down, what the hell? I guess they would just be done. So, I, I guess my question is, what? What have? I'm sure you've encountered this with some of the resort, the mountains that you've worked with. So, what, what are some of the things that they that you've helped them do, or they've done that can sort of help prepare for that inevitable um, situation? Well, it's funny you ask. We have put together a think tank of uh, a couple of finance guys, a couple of industry um, veterans, and have started brainstorming uh, and talking through how we can make these skiers financially, economically sustainable. And uh, in the simplest of terms, I think what you're going to see is communities coming together. Um, 
pooling their assets to keep these skiers around. We've seen a few examples of that, right? Mad River Glen is a, is the only cooperative-owned ski area um, in the U.S. Right. Uh, and that was um, their pass holders came together. Uh, now we have Saddleback in Maine that's um, right. coming, you know, coming re- resurrecting their ski area through private uh, monies. Um, Mount Rose in Nevada is uh, there's been some talk and movement towards creating a cooperative or some sort of membership entity to buy out um, the seller, uh, the owner who wants to sell. So we've seen this in a lot of other industries. Um, you know, food industry is probably the most pop popular one. Also, the Green Bay Packers is a community-owned um, pro football team that most people don't know is a co-op. But right. the point of the matter is, is that there, it's not as simple as, okay, a bunch of people throw their money together and we're going to buy the ski area and keep it a business. It's There's a lot of moving parts. Um, so we're sort of modeling it kind of how uh, some of the bigger ski resorts operate with a landlord and a, a management company or tenant, but then having a membership entity. So in the months to come, we'll uh, have more details on that. And it's our hope that we can find uh, a ski area that would like to sample this, uh, implement it, and then um, replicate it to other ski areas that, that might be in a similar situation. The reality is some of these ski areas probably need to die. They're, they don't get snow. They don't have snowmaking capacity. They're far from a population base. Their terrain is you know nothing to, to get people too excited about. But there's a whole bunch of other ones that need to stay in business. Um, and they just need a new model. Um, the current ownership is usually the first generation. They're getting older. So we want to create something that's going to be a great succession plan uh, for some of these ski areas. Right. So I, I guess I have a question because I don't fully understand how the co-op works. But yeah, how, how does like for example with the Mad River Glen? I know they're I knew they were co-op, but I didn't really understand how having sort of the um, pass holders come together to i guess purchase the mountain how does that allow them so to speak to keep going i know uh, it's basically they're raising the money but don't they still have to figure out ways to break even because they could still be losing money yes well one of the things that happens when you create a membership entity is you all of a sudden get a lot of volunteers because there's pride of ownership uh, my colleague at Mad River Glen, Eric Friedman, who's been their marketing director there since the beginning, told me that first they took each co-op member's um, an, um, buy-in, plus they have an annual fee. But then they become volunteers for life. I think he mentioned something like they've never had to pay for attorney fees or web development fees or those sort of things or trail maintenance right, because right so so there's sort of that pride of ownership that comes along um with being a member but it's not this isn't going to be a membership uh exclusivity thing it's like members have benefits but guests are welcome right so members might pay an upfront fee um uh get some perks uh that that general public wouldn't get get a get to vote get to run for a board seat um but you know the guests are still welcome so it it needs there's a special formula you need to have enough skiers pass holders loyalists um to make it work but there's a whole bunch of ski areas that that do um and if you 
were to go into a, a small rural town in anywhere in America that has a ski area in the winter months and say, hey, your ski area is about to close um, unless you contribute some money to keep it going, I bet you a lot of these people would would be keen and, and, and very happy to support their local ski areas. So um, it's a model that's been tried, but it's not a mo model that's been replicated yet. So we're going to make a few modifications to what's happened so far, take away the best of uh, the different membership entities that have worked and create something that we think is, is going to be replicated um, for a lot of these ski areas that need to stay in business. That's interesting. You bring up a lot of points. I just didn't even think about. You're right. Like when you have that sort of community, um, it, it's once you sort of have that buy-in, it, it you just have people who care about it. And you're right. It definitely makes it so much more valuable. And and I think it's uh, interesting to show that it, it can work because it, it is working with places like Mad River Glen. Um, before you started Mountain Riders Alliance, what what were you doing um, professionally? I was living in Argentina. I had a vacation rental business in Patagonia in the Lakes District. Um, and, uh, oh, yeah, I was living abroad and um, being a ski bum. and uh, <laughs> Living the life. Yeah. I've been a massage therapist. Uh, I owned a, a wine vineyard. Um, I've been involved in several startups. So I've always been very entrepreneurial and Always had jobs that supported my ski habit. I, I still to this day uh, try to ski 100 days a year or more, and then I typically work, you know, after three o'clock um, and work, you know, till nine or ten or eleven at night. And um, it's priorities, you know. The grass is always greener on the other side, but of course, um, for me, it's um, I'm just so grateful for skiing and and all the joy it's brought me and the friends I made and you know the places I've seen. So. Um, my dad told me growing up, make your job your hobby and your hobby your job. And so, you know, always being a passionate skier, I, I kind of came up with this this uh, this little thing we call MRA. <laughs> Sounds like your dad was a pretty wise guy. <laughs> um, I'm, my goal is the same as yours. I, I'm not quite at that 100-day season, Mark, but I'm hoping to creep up on it in the next couple of seasons. <laughs> um, what advice would you give to someone who wanted to start a business or build a nonprofit in the outdoor sport industry? Uh, surround yourself with smart people that aren't yes people. Uh, surround yourselves with devil's advocates and people that are going to question you instead of saying, oh, that's a great idea and pat you on the back. Um, and and be, absorb, be a sponge. Absorb whatever it is you're going to do and just study it intensely and and become passionate about it and and lead with your heart and trust that if you do the right thing um things will fall into place uh and also you know it's a marathon not a sprint that is great advice and I, my dad always tells me is you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with so you got to look you got to surround yourself with with good people like you're saying and if you don't then you're you're not going to go in the direction you want to be going in. Um what would you say is the best part about running Mountain Runners Alliance? Well, I get to call myself a ski CEO. There's not too many of us, <laughs> but no, I mean I I get to ski. I mean, like, you know, uh, go on vacation or you know, go on a ski trip 
and say, you know, and, and meet meet the general manager or the marketing director, or whatever of the ski area, and get shown around. And um, the the best part is is staying relevant. And 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 you know, I don't feel guilty when I go skiing somewhere else besides my home mountain. Um, it's part of the job. And I met some great people. Um, and it's what I love to do. I don't wake up in the morning and I'm, you know, or wake up or go to work in the afternoon and go, oh God, I have to do that today. You know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm really inspired by the importance of what we're doing. That That's awesome. And I, I totally, I totally agree with, uh, with Reddy Yeti. Like one of the biggest aspects for me is just being able to meet people like you, <laughs> you know, like we, we, our relationship goes back almost a year. Like when we, when we first started launched um ready yeti yes and we wouldn't know each other if if um if i didn't do this and um that in itself it it just makes me work harder because you know when when i'm up super late and i'm working on something i know has to get done and i'm like i just want to go to sleep or i just want to watch netflix or i just want to go outside or whatever it is i'm like well you know these aspects of the business make it so valuable because i get to be able to sit down and have a chat with you and share your story with our subscribers which which is awesome. It's such a cool and incredible. It's an incredible feeling, and and it, it makes you feel good because you feel like you're you're giving back and creating a positive impact, which is so so important. I agree. You know, I uh, I want to leave the world a better place than I found it, and exactly. I know a lot of us do. And um, you know, you use that as your sort of your guiding principles, and 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 good things are going to happen. I couldn't agree more. And with that, Jamie, I want to thank you for taking the time to chat with me and share your story with our listeners. And um, it, it, how can people um, support you and find uh, find you online? Where Where's the best place for them to go and check you out? Well, um, the best way to find out about us is mountainridersalliance.com. Uh, and the best way to support us uh, and small ski areas is we've created a – a card called the Mountain Playground card, and it is a $29 uh, card that offers exclusive discounts to all nine of our ski areas, as well as over 20 brand partners. We have lodging, we have um, skis, snowboards, goggles, uh, trips to Europe and Japan and South America, and all sorts of other ex- exclusive benefits. It's like a a discount card for like-minded companies and ski areas and makes a great stocking stuffer. Um, and out of that $29, the first thing we do is we dedicate, uh, donate 15% of it to our nonprofit partner, She Jumps. And She Jumps is all about getting uh, women outdoors and adventure sports. <coughs> Excuse me. And that's uh, – you can go to mountainplaygroundgroup.ski. That's right. Dot ski, and uh, and uh, and check it out. And it's a cool new website. We got a video up on um, trying to encapsulate our authentic skiing vibe, and, um, and a little profile on all the ski areas, um, as well as uh, the brand partners that we're working with. That is awesome, and we'll link up all that in the show notes so our listeners can check it out. But with that, Jamie, I want to thank you for taking the time to chat with me. It was a blast. Yeah, likewise. Thanks, Josh, and thanks for for what you're doing with Ready Eddie and helping these uh, these startup companies uh, be showcased and, and get them moving in the right direction out of the gate. It's, it's huge. Really appreciate that. Thanks, Jamie. Thank you. 
Hey, Ready Any Podcast listeners, if you enjoyed today's episode, then I would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready Eddie Podcast. I'll catch you next week.